Hey folks, I'm really excited to share a special offer with my listeners today. Skip the trip to the pharmacy each month for your birth control. Get free delivery with free goodies. Yes, free, like Haichu, which are super tasty, chocolate, tea, and even more. Never run out of birth control again. <laughs> That's a big deal, y'all. Get Pandia Health Peace of Mind. Pandia Health makes sure no one runs out of birth control on their watch. Pandia Health brings you a pain-free birth control delivery right to your door. I know one of my biggest fears was making sure that I had my birth control prescription scheduled just right so I could pick them up before I ran out of pills. Ugh, seriously, never again. But now Pandia Health is here to help you out with free delivery of your birth control pills from the only, the only women and doctor founded, women and doctor led company in birth control delivery. Already have an active prescription at a pharmacy and insurance to cover the medications, Pandia's health delivery, automatic refills, and a reminder to see your primary care physician each year. Those services are completely free. If you ever need a doctor consultation because you want to change the method of birth control or the pills that you take and you don't have an active prescription, it's just 29 bucks once a year to access Pandia Health's expert, passionate doctors for the next 364 days. You save the trip to the pharmacy each month, plus you save the trip to the doctor to get your birth control prescription. Pandian Health can deliver to all 50 states. They take almost all private insurance, except for Kaiser. They do take family-packed PACT, which is also wonderful. Pandia Health is about care, convenience, and confidentiality. Head over to pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com and sign up now. Now, don't forget the code. You get some money off if you get the code Sex Talk with Erica. That's Erica with a K. And you get $5 off the doctor consultation if needed. Because I'm a curious person, I had to ask about the name and I find it pretty cool. Pandia Health comes from the Greek goddess of healing light, full moon Pandia. Pan equals every, dia, day. Pandia Health has you covered each day of the year. It's called the Pandia Peace of Mind. Y'all, go check it out. Sex talk, Erica Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sex just isn't good enough. No, sex talk with Erica Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. Y'all be ready. I had some very specific requests, and I've had this request for quite a while to do an entire episode about threesomes, but I wanted to do this right. <laughs> so I, I went and found 
essentially the person who wrote the book. <laughs> so I want to w- welcome to the show, Ryan Scotes. Ryan, you are an amazing human being and has, have written an amazing book. You're a lecturer at Coventry University in Sociology. Much of your work focuses on people's experiences of mixed sex threesomes, consensual non-monogamy, sexualities, masculinities, men's friendships, and all of the details about research publications can be found at Ryan's website, which will be in the show notes, folks. That's ryanscoatsphd.com. Uh, don't worry. I'll repeat all that again. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for such a lovely introduction. I can't wait to tackle this with you. I mean, Pornhub's 2019 year in review, threesomes are 13th most researched keyword. So our interest in threesomes is historical and full of feelings. <laughs> yeah, threesomes are interesting to people. People want to know, like never a day goes by when there's not a new news piece out there about threesomes sort of discussing why they're good or why they're bad or or like how people should have one or not have one they are yeah they've really captured people's imaginations and it doesn't seem to be waning at all yeah I mean I'm a huge history buff myself and you know we have we have cave paintings featuring (laughs) threesomes we've been been doing this a while (laughs) oh yeah group sex is not new no no matter how new it might feel like yeah we did not invent this so you wrote the book understanding threesomes gender sex and consensual non-monogamy i mean you're gonna lead us today i I so appreciate you doing that I, i mean what got you started in the in the research into threesomes also the story that you told about the looks you get i gotta hear that it's just so good it's so good uh so essentially i had known for a while but i wanted to go into academia and look at kind of gender sexuality sexual behavior and like I was sort of in the process of this and I had a threesome myself uh, with a partner at the time. And it was interesting because it didn't turn out how I expected it to. And like, it wasn't this one-time thing, but then it wasn't something that became our relationship. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I was curious because it was like, oh, there's this new f- great friend that we've made who we're also having sex with, but yeah, it's, um, it wasn't what I expected. And so sort of being academically minded a bit at that time, I didn't really trust the whole media talk about threesomes and all of the, the salacious articles. And so I went to the literature and found, oh, wait, there is really little literature about threesomes. Like nobody is talking about this. And so I figured this could be a good route for my PhD. Like academia is, and PhD specifically, are often about filling a gap. And why not fill that gap? I mean, yes. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> just like I think and, and it's always stunning to me when we, when we find one of these gaps. I mean, only in the last, what, 10 years or so have we figured out that the clitoris is bigger than we thought. So yeah. it doesn't surprise <laughs> me that there, there wasn't any academic literature about, and you were pretty specific in your aim. I mean, your aim was to, how do people feel? about threesomes. And, and, and I, I was just like, yes, I'm so glad. Yes. Use the science for good. Woohoo. Um, <laughs> so in, in your research, you talked about the, the monogamy gap. What does that mean? 
it's kind of a, a disconnect with how you feel and how you think you should feel. So I think in society, we're often, well, predominantly, we are socialized into this idea that we should have monogamous relationships, that monogamy should fulfill everything you want and need. And so you look for this one person and they do it all for you. They are this sexual dynamo, they are your soulmate and all of these kinds of things. And so after a couple of years of relationships, once all of these fuzzy chemicals have worn off, then people start looking around and they start saying, oh, wait, actually, sex with that person would be pretty good. Uh, but socially, this is not an acceptable thing. It's, um, yeah, it's seen as a weakness in a person if they admit that, oh, yeah, actually, I'd really like to have sex with someone else. People feel that, oh, well, you obviously haven't found the right person, but it's a common thing. It's a natural thing. And so the monogamy gap talks about this disconnect between how you feel you should feel, like the, all the societal teachings about this is what your relationship should be like, and that kind of somatic desire for new and interesting sex, because, yeah, I don't care how good it is, at some point, you will have done it and it will start mm -hmm. to become boring. And and that's kind of where, yeah, people start to quite often cheat or on occasion, like if they're lucky enough to have this open communication in their relationship, they can maybe start to explore uh, opening their relationship in different ways. But essentially, I, this is suggested by some uh, academics as why people cheat. They, yeah, socially do not have permission to do anything but monogamy, but they want that new sex. The, the novelty that they crave. This is the thing that I hear from my clients all the time. The, the, and not knowing where to get, begin with novelty. That's a big, big worry. Like, oh, our, I don't understand my sex life and I don't know what to do next. And I'm interested in these things that I've seen maybe in porn or in other places and, and I don't know what to do with it. And, and so one of the things that you had talked about was, I mean, we've already touched on infidelity, like the perception I imagine of infidelity and consensual non-monogamy has probably shifted and changed culturally. So what, what were your thoughts about that as you were kind of going through this research? Yeah. So I think, Cheating is obviously something which is pretty widespread, but I think particularly the younger generations with the advent of the internet, um, consensual non-monogamy is becoming more out there. Like there's TV documentaries, there's like TV serials about these things. And so people are exposed to them. Some representations are better than others, of course, but people are more aware that it's not just this niche thing. It's not something that it's only, uh, say, you know, these weird swingers and they go away to parties and they're all tacky and sleazy. It's regular people. And that is kind of what I wanted to look at and kind of find because I myself, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly uh, weird or like, <laughs> or particularly unmainstream in, in many particular ways. But so I had a threesome and I knew that there were lots of other people out there who were, on the face of it, very regular in all other facets of their life. They weren't these oddities. And this takes me back to what you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. It's uh, when 
talking with people about what I study, a lot of them would be quite surprised when I said that I studied threesomes. And typically what would happen is someone around the sort of circle of people would say, oh yeah, no, I've had a threesome. And all the people, their friends around them would turn to them and say, what, you've had a threesome? (laughs) And they wouldn't know. (gasps) It it would be such a surprise to them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in all other respects, they would see their friend as like, oh yeah, they're, you know, not particularly adventurous or exciting or they're not this fringe person who I would expect. They're just a regular person. Not that there's anything wrong with being irregular. They... It did not fit with this kind of cultural idea of these people that have threesomes. It's everyone and anyone, essentially. At some point, Ryan, you and I need to go to a party and just, you need to say what you do research on and I'll say I'm a sex therapist and we're just going to, you know, blow their heads off. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I am not qualified to do therapy, but the moment I start talking about these things, the floodgates open and all of a sudden I'm the... Uh, yeah, the, the bar sex therapist. Um, it's, it's a weird one. It, it I, is. It is. It's a strange existence. I feel you. There. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about this the the role of jealousy. This is the when my clients come to me when we're when maybe they have opened their relationship and didn't know how to navigate it and hit some hit some snags along the way, or they're interested and they don't know how to even go down that path. So you talked a lot about the cultural role of jealousy and I'm helping them often pre-prepare <laughs> for these feelings. So you talked a little bit about how people can alleviate it, but I mean, just generally, what did you find with the cultural role of jealousy? Uh, I think jealousy can almost be an indicator of loving your partner or that's kind of how it's perceived. So if you would not be jealous of your partner having sex with someone else, it's sort of suggested that maybe your relationship is not as strong as it should be. So perhaps you should exit this relationship. But when you actually start to look at people who engage in like extra relationship sex and they do swinging or have threesomes or are uh, polyamorous, have open relationships, whatever it may be, a lot of the time they start to recontextualize jealousy. Now, from my understanding and uh, all of the studies that I've read, it would appear that there is a certain hardwired nature to jealousy. So jealousy is part of our biology, but what we are jealous about is not necessarily. This is more of something that we have constructed. So if you think about what you yourself are jealous about, so maybe you would be jealous of uh, your partner like hugging another person. Maybe you'd be jealous of them kissing another person. But for other people, this is fine. This is no big thing. They may have their own particular lines and triggers, but if us being jealous of our partner going off with someone else was as simple as it is completely hardwired and it's all about this one thing, surely there would be less variation in it, I think. Yes. But, yeah, like, <laughs> That's what I see in people's feelings, feelings across the board. That's what I'm hearing you say is that jealousy is very similar to most other feelings that it is contextually based. Yes, you're meant for it. You are meant for those feelings, regardless of which one it is, including jealousy. It is contextually based. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see how people like play with the idea of jealousy. So in the polyamorous community, they came up with the term compersion. 
as in the opposite of jealousy. So being happy with your partner doing something and um, getting some sort of gratification for it. And you see also the eroticization of jealousy. So getting some sort of erotic energy and pleasure from seeing your partner get erotic pleasure uh, with someone else. So there's different ways in which jealousy can be thought about and recontextualized, re-understood. But I think it's it's difficult because it's not something that is really talked about in anywhere else bar the consensual non-monogamy community. But these are good relationship skills to have because there will always be issues of things that come up and jealousy could be one of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just think that this is, if we just break this down, I want to break it down for the average person out there listening. Why do people... Why do people have threesomes? I mean, y'all, he wrote an entire chapter on it. So you're getting the condensed version. I'm just telling you. But, <laughs> but, but why, if, if we can distill it, why do people have threesomes? Okay. So the very, <laughs> the very simple answer would be, um, be another question. And uh, I won't make you answer, Erica, but it's why do people have sex? And you might have sex for so many reasons. You might be horny. You might be bored. It might be there as an option. You might be wanting to do something nice for your partner. You might find a particular person attractive. You might be drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might have uh, just, yeah, have the opportunity. So sex is varied itself and threesomes are no less varied and you have all of these reasons and more but um yeah i think some of the things that came up with the people that i was speaking to and the people that i researched threesomes specifically it felt like it was an experience that people wanted to have they wanted to almost take it off a bucket list yes the sexual bucket list Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's a deep bucket, no? Mm-hmm, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in there. And so people didn't even necessarily care what type of experience they would have. They just kind of wanted to say that they'd had it. And for some of those people, they saw that when they would grow up, as it were, and go and have adult relationships, these things were going to be closed off. So let's get it done now. Let's have these wild sexual experiences when we're younger. And then I can say that I've done it, been there, bought the t-shirt and move on. So that, that was one big thing that came through. For others, they viewed threesomes as fun. It was just, yeah, it seemed like fun. Why not? Let's do it. For others, it could be an exploration of their sexuality or an exploration of sex or perhaps their relationship, seeing what it might feel like to have sex with someone else. Um, Yeah, it could be because you wanted to do something good for your partner and you weren't that fussed about it yourself. But yeah, it wasn't something that was going to negatively impact you, but it might make your partner happy. So yeah, why not? And then one of the really interesting reasons I didn't expect to come up was what I referred to as like a sexual compromise. So Sometimes it wasn't a threesome that people wanted. They wanted to have sex with one of the other people there. But a threesome was the only way in which that could happen. And so they said, you know what? Yeah, I'll have a threesome because it allowed me to have sex with this one person. And this was really interesting to me because it suggested that threesomes were less stigmatized than has been 
suggested by a lot of literature or the small amount of literature that's out there because if people are happy to just go and have a threesome even if they don't want one so that they can have sex is taken on a real casual air it really has lost a lot of significance to some people that's i mean that is uh, fascinating and almost has an element of something that i'm hearing which is permission giving like, like I, I give you permission or I give our relationship permission and whatever the structure was that I give permission for this event to happen. And that's fascinating. I think that's really, really interesting. Like I imagine, and maybe you saw some of this when you were doing your research, there has got to be pieces of it, of people getting to play with power. What did you see with that? And, and what were those elements that you found really fascinating? So power did come into it, I think, especially when you look at cuckolding. And this did not come up too much with the people that I looked at, but there is definitely an element of power and the eroticization of that power and having that control taken away from you and witnessing this sexual event you are perhaps not part of. I think you using that example of cuckolding, I think, is is an excellent one. And it, it has those elements, some of the, the elements of what we've already even talked about, that the novelty, the permission giving, but also then maybe something completely different than what somebody is engaged in before. So sexual bucket filling, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. All of those things that people are are looking for oftentimes when they're allowing themselves to really engage in the kind of pleasure that they want to be having. The thing that I work with people a lot on, big surprise, and my my listeners have heard this from me probably a hundred million times, is shame. That is that is what we're talking about most of the time. What elements of shame or what elements maybe did people deal with to allow themselves to have these threesomes? Or were they not didn't were they not affected by shame? I think a lot of the people I spoke to, they did not have the shame. But I think this is a bit of a a chicken and the egg. So they they had threesomes because they did not feel that they were going to be affected by it or they did not have shame around these things necessarily. Not exclusively, but largely they were pretty open to it. They didn't view it as a big thing. But yeah, some people definitely did have regrets and did not view it as a fulfilling or a positive experience. And although I didn't have anyone saying that they felt dirty or things like this after it, like they didn't necessarily feel uh, objectified or slutty or whatever, there were still times when people felt that it had affected their relationship in a way that they didn't want, or it had started to encroach on perhaps their desire for monogamy. There are a number of people who said, oh yeah, I'd happily have another threesome, but not with the same person because it's my relationship. And that, yeah, that was really interesting. So they wanted to avoid the potential questions that might be brought up and the potential engagement with the stigma of threesomes by limiting it with one particular person and yeah saying okay yeah we can have more threesomes but it has to be this flash in the pan this one-time thing otherwise it it starts to become a bit too serious and we're not doing that i think that's really interesting that essentially the the treatment plan for potential jealousy is that okay this is our primary relationship whatever 
these individuals are the, the primary people and then we'll bring in other partners and they have to be variable. I, I mean, that's, it's really interesting to hear how, I mean, I, I call it, uh, I tell my clients, it's like mental gymnastics. These are the things that you will do or your treatment plan to be able to tolerate whatever you're trying to accomplish. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Some people would do that. They would almost have this little set of rules that would create in their minds that threesomes were different. So typically it would be like, okay, you cannot penetrate that person or you have to orgasm in me or we only see them a certain amount of times or whatever it may be. It kind of helped them to see a discernible difference between, okay, this is the sex that we have in a relationship and we do all these things and threesome sex is different because we don't do all of these things. Therefore, we can retain this specialness around our two-person relationship. I almost hear like a connection to trust building almost. Like if we follow these rules, then you are who you say you are and you do what you say you will do. I think that is an interesting way that people deal with maybe trying to avoid jealousy in some way or trying to avoid whatever discomfort or uncomfortable emotion they, they maybe interpret that they may have. Absolutely. And I think it can have positives and negatives. I think if this works for the couple, that's their most limits for jealousy. This can be a good thing, but it's also important to remember that when it is a romantic couple having a threesome, that there is also a third person there and they should be part of that conversation. So how do they feel about the fact they might not be able to do particular things? Are they okay with that? Or is that actually going to make them feel like a bit of a third wheel and not a full participant? So a lot of the time, the protective measures that people would take didn't necessarily take into account the experiences and desires of the third person now that wasn't across the board and i think some people especially those involved in polyamorous relationships were better about acknowledging these things but oftentimes it was also missed yeah absolutely and this and this goes right into the next segment we're going to talk about which is ask erica and the fundamental question i get in my inbox and my dms all over the places is how do I have a th- threesome? That's one of the that's one of the big ones. Or I don't know. Are the are threesomes okay? That's the other one. So there there's like a constellation of these types of questions. So if you had suggestions for for folks that are curious about having threesomes, what would you what would you say? Maybe maybe a little uh, little little taste. <laughs> sure. Uh, I think first of all, it's really important to examine why you want to have a threesome so what is it you're trying to gain out of it and what is it the people that you are with so be that a partner be that friends what are you all looking to get out of it and that could perhaps help you figure out okay so what rules do we need do we want and what expectations do you have so i think it's really important to establish if people have particular wants and desires or boundaries and particular things that they don't want to do because a mismatch in these things could lead to an awkwardness whilst you're having sex, but also longer term like ramifications for relationships and friendships. That said, some people don't like to think about these things because it sort of ruins that spontaneous aspect of threesomes. 
So I think if you are not willing to have those conversations, you have to be aware that it's from my experience and the people that I've spoken to, I think you've got more of a chance of uh, things blowing up if you don't have those conversations. I'm nodding ferociously at Ryan. (laughs) If you want that spontaneous, exciting element, beware. Like it, it can lead to difficulties that you had not necessarily expected. So related to communication as well, I think communicating whilst you're having the threesome and also after having the threesome. So even if something that you didn't particularly want to happen during the threesome, a particular dynamic, say, occurred, this can be worked through with some aftercare and some talk about things once things are over and it can maybe diminish those negative thoughts and allow maybe you to uh, explore these things again, perhaps, if you want to. So I think for me, it felt like communication was a really, really important aspect, figuring out what you want, what the other people want, and how you were going to get there. And then seeing, okay, how did everyone feel about that? I mean, it's, uh, it's difficult. People are not taught about communication and sex, and um, people find it awkward. But time and time again, these were the people that even if they had negative experiences if they talked about them it helped make them better it helped like take some of the edges off of that negative experience and some even went on to have more threesomes and improve upon that experience i feel like this is what i cover with my clients regardless of whether we're not talking about sex or if we're talking about conflict or we're talking about anything that could be looked at as an intense experience or intense emotion the more that we can have conversations about it the more likely we can be successful in dealing with it not necessarily is it going to mean that you're going to have a positive or a negative experience but it does mean that you can conceptualize it that you can integrate that narrative into your life Yeah, yeah, you can start to make sense of it and understand it and perhaps know that it wasn't the intention of the other people that this thing happened, but it was uh, an oversight. Things have not necessarily played out in the minds of the other people in the same way that it has in yours, and you can start to unpick that. I think people assume that sex is supposed to be spontaneous when in reality, like, well, that's how it happens in the movies, right? <laughs> but even then, they didn't even show you before the movie how many things they put on to make that scene happen. <laughs> and then how many times have you, like, before going out with your partner or before going out maybe even to a bar or club, um, some of us who like to do some hair control, you might shave mm-hmm. in preparation. That's yep. not spontaneous. Yeah, the idea of spontaneous sex, of course, can happen, but more than likely, people at the very least do some sort of preparation. So this, these kinds of conversations can be that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, spontaneous sex is perhaps great in this uh, in this fantasy that you might have, but honestly, do people really? Well, some people will, but do you really want to have spontaneous sex with someone who hasn't washed recently? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some people really like the smell is good for them, but like, you know, yeah, yeah, some people will, but yeah. (laughs) But if you have that conversation that's that's on the table, even in 24 hours before that happens, that's still, it is a consensual conversation. It is a wonderful way to prepare for 
maybe you don't want to get caught and get arrested for having sex in public con- considering who, where you might be in the world. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> folks, we're just trying to tell you it's okay to prepare and you'll have yes. a better time if you do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There is safety in these conversations and the more that you can talk, the, the better. Uh, Ryan, you are you are a dear. I so appreciate you being on the show today. How oh, do people you. find you in the world? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. So it's uh, at rscoats. So it's like coats with an S at the beginning. And you can also find my website, ryanscoatsphd.com. And yeah, you can read a lot of my articles for free on there and uh, a few other interviews that I've done covering various different aspects of my work and my advice. And yeah, unfortunately, you cannot read the book for free, but yeah, there's a lot of threesome content you can access there. Fantastic. Again, wonderful. Thank you for being here. And folks, thank you for sticking around to the end and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.